We'll open your Bibles as you remain standing for the reading of the Word of God, if you would, please. To the book of Luke and to the book of Mark. I'd like you to open, if you would, to Mark. Put your hand there. Mark chapter number 11. And then when you find that, move on over and to Luke chapter number 13. And this morning, I, I wanted, I told you last week that I wanted to take a brief pause from our study in the book of Hebrews in an effort to you know, go over a few things that I believe in the life of our church are important. Next week, we begin our uh, time with the family revival, and as we draw close to the revival week, we're presented with responsibilities. Those responsibilities, uh, namely, are in the preparing of our hearts to receive uh, what the Lord is going to uh, bring our way We want to prepare our hearts for the growth that God desires to see in us. And it is this growth that ought to be the focal point of each believer. Uh, If I truly am born again by the Spirit of God, my aim should never be to remain as I am or as I was. My aim should be and should always be uh, in growing more and more into the image of of God. And so if I find no growth in my life, then chances are very good that things are not right spiritually. I should never, never desire to remain as I am. So our deepest desire should be that of bearing fruit. Look with me, if you would, at Luke chapter number 13. And we're going to read just a few verses, four verses, before we make our prayer says in verse number 6 of Luke 13, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came and sought fruit thereon, found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it, dung it, and if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Keep your hand here in Luke because we're going to be looking at this. Drop back with me to the book of Mark now. Mark chapter 11. And look with me at verse number 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he, talking about Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find any there, anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. You drop down to verse 20, you'll find the next part of this story. It says, in, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Peter calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith 
God. Father, speak to us, we beg of you. Father, not only would you speak as you promised to do, but Father, we would listen. Father, we would be attentive with all our hearts, with all of our mind. That Father, not only would we listen, but then we would apply. God in heaven, I believe with all my heart that there are people here today who truly are born again by the Spirit of God that do honestly have a desire to serve you, to be more like you, to grow, to be fruitful. But Father, sadly, I understand too that there is a great possibility, Lord, that there are people here who may have all the look and appearance godliness, but are dead inside. So what I ask is something that only you can do, that you would grab a hold of their heart. You would speak to them in a way that only you can. Help them to see their need of a Savior and their reality of being a sinner. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Going back now to Luke, and you'll want to put a piece of paper, grab a tithing envelope or something, slap that in your uh, Bible so you can bounce between uh, the two passages if you so need to do so. That'll be a help to you, I'm sure. And then after you're done with that tithing envelope, put something in it, drop it in the box. I'm sure Jeff will say thank you. You didn't think you were going to get a bookmark for free, did you? But notice in Luke chapter number 13, what, what is being said here in verse Number six, he says, he spake a certain, uh, uh, this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. What's interesting with this passage is uh, oftentimes these fig tree analogies get more focus on the fig tree and less focus on the lesson. Now, I'm a literalist as far as the Word of God is concerned, and whenever the Word of God is speaking literally, I like to take it literally. So when the Bible says that there's a fig tree, then I like to think the fig tree. But the difference in in taking things literally and taking things in view of application is that you take the literal statement Jesus is making and apply it to the spiritual aspect of life. Here we have Jesus giving a parable, and this is the the idea of a parable is we, we say it this way, we say it's a earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but then I don't know about you, but as a kid, I was like, with a heavenly meaning, still don't understand what So the, the word parable from the Greek parah, bullet. I, I don't know about you, I like westerns. I like to watch western movies, and one of my favorite, uh, favorite western shows is The Rifleman. Anybody else like The Rifleman? I got a couple of saved individuals in here, uh, and, and what one of my favorite episodes was uh, there was a group from Argentina. So they had relocated to the rifleman's area there, and and the young man was really good at a bolo. Now, if you don't know what a bolo is, and I'm not talking about the bolo tie, but the one where they you got the, this rope and you got the rocks on the ends of it, and you swing it and then you throw it and it wraps itself around something's legs or whatever, you know, bolo. Now. The idea of a bole means to throw. So the Greek word bole, throw. So when I add para, which is the preposition 
beside, alongside of, next to. A parable is when you throw something next to something else to help it make sense. So Jesus, he's teaching with a purpose, and he uses these parables, he uses them in a way where he's putting it right alongside of something they would fully understand. You know, for them, they would be talking about, um, uh, you know, man shall not live by bread alone. The rest of us are like, that's right, we need meat. But they understood that connotation. You know, we would say it this way, man should not live maybe by McDonald's alone. You live by McDonald's alone, man, you're going to be suffering big time. If McDonald's is your daily diet, you're going to be malnourished. (laughs) And so when we see these ideas that Jesus is bringing out in the New Testament, we've got to understand the society in which they were accustomed. We don't really have fig trees around here the way they had them there. Over in the Middle East, these fig trees, they they grow in not as cold of a climate as what we have here. We have a colder area, and the figs don't, uh, not all fig trees uh, are this way, but for by and large, most fig trees just do not thrive in this type of a climate. Uh, over in the Middle East, you've got like 10 days of winter. Over here, you have 10 days of summer. So, you know, there's a difference in the in the type of tree that you're going to get. So sometimes we read by these fig tree accounts, and we're like, eh, what does it really A fig tree can produce, in its proper climate, can produce fruit for sometimes up to 10 months out of the year. And so when we read these, uh, this idea of a fig tree, and all through Scripture you have, you have uh, uh, indications of fig trees, you have it spread all throughout, throughout the Scripture, fig trees have been used as a picture or a type uh, of God's people, the followers of God. It displays them in such a way. Now, it's not so much about the fig as it is the picture. And this is what I want us to get into our minds today, that the idea is not about what kind of a tree it was as much as why he would have used this analogy. So this fig tree, uh, think about this for a minute. If I want more figs, what am I going to need? I'm going to need a fig tree. No, you just need the seeds. Where are you getting those seeds? From the fig tree, right? And so we go back to the uh, to the beginning of everything. I got to have this tree in order to have the figs, in order to have the fig the, the the seeds, in order to have the fig trees, in order to have the. And so there's this idea of this uh, this tree grows up, it produces fruit. The fruit then grows up, produces more fruit. The fruit then grows up, produce so forth and so on. It's not a real I don't know, not real deep, I guess you'd say. But if there's no tree, then there's no figs. And if there's no figs, there's no future trees. Pretty simple analogy. But what about this where this man comes in his vineyard? He had a certain, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Now, I know I have, I, I know some may be thinking this right now. I read a couple things this week in preparation of this, and I'm like, really? You got to go there. But people are like, well, this is foolishness. No one would plant a fig tree in a grapevine vineyard. But no, then they would have referred to their fruit field as a vineyard. And so many times they would have had multiple different types of fruit growing in the same area, and they just referred to it as a vineyard. 
But you have this guy coming to this tree, and he says, For three years I have visited this tree, and for three years I have found no fruit. What's the next thing that he says? Notice what he says right there in verse number 7. He says, I come seeking fruit on this tree, find none. Read those next three words with me. Cut it down. I believe with all my heart that there are people today who might be about ready to be cut down. And my hope this morning is that we would examine ourselves to find as the Savior come looking at this tree found no fruit. Now we want to pay attention to this this morning because if we truly want to see revival in our nation, if we truly want to see revival in our state, truly to see revival in our hometown or within our church, then there needs to be a revival that takes place in my heart. I want you to look with me this morning. The question that I really want to put out today is, am I bearing fruit? Am I a a fruit-bearing tree? Or am I spoiling the soil for everyone else around me? That's what we want to think about. Now, those are your two options. I want you to understand that. Those are your two options. Either you are bearing fruit, it may be a lot, it may be a little, or you are spoiling the ground. Pay attention to what's being said here. If you continue to read, he says, cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? You see, Jesus wanted to get a point across that the fruit uh, was of great importance. All through his, his earthly ministry, he told us time and time and time again that his desire was for us to bear fruit. If you look back at John chapter 15, use that uh, offering envelope to hold your place there and go back to John chapter number 15, or go forward, I'm sorry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Andy. All right, John chapter number 15. Notice what Jesus says here about bearing fruit. Look at verse number 1 of John chapter 15. This is where he's talking about being the vine and we are the branches. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean throughout the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Drop down, if you would, to verse number 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Jesus is not just, he's not interested in people just becoming fruitless trees. 
He's not, his goal and his aim in his ministry was not just to make a bunch of trees, but to make fruit-bearing trees. It was of utmost importance to him that the fruit would come, and not just some fruit, not just a little bit of fruit, but much fruit, he says. And these are his words. You got a problem with that, take it up with him. I'm just relaying the message. He doesn't want us to sit around doing nothing, being fruitless and just occupying space in the ground. He says, I want you to bear fruit or it needs to be cut down and it needs to be done away with because it's spoiling the ground. The question this morning is, are you spoiling the ground? Bearing fruit. Let's get this out very early in this, in this stage of the game. Any gardener will tell you that a fruit tree that is not bearing fruit. Now, before somebody comes up, well, it's too young to bear fruit. It needs growth. It's already grown to the point where it's supposed to bear fruit. I've got fruit trees in my backyard. We planted them a few years ago. They're not yet big enough to bear fruit understand that what i'm talking about is if you've got a if you've got a fruit tree that's been in your yard for 15 years and it's bearing any fruit it's dead or it's rotting so those are your options if a fruit tree is not bearing fruit it is sick it is dead or it is dying if you desire more fruit trees then it's time to get some more fruit and if you desire more fruit, it's time to get some fertilizer around your root. Let's take a look at this a little bit deeper here. The problem with fruitless trees, I want you to notice the problem here. In Luke, again, chapter number 13, he uses the phrase at the end, or after he says, cut it down, he says, why cumbereth it? The ground. Do you see that there? Notice that phrase. If you mark in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline it, highlight it, whatever you need to do. The word for cumber uh, means uh, to distress or to trouble, to cause inconvenience. One usage of the word from back in the 17th century was to occupy obstructively. The idea is, have you ever been, uh, you've, you've gone to the grocery store or something, you've got, uh, you've got this uh, lady that's kind of making her way down the aisle, not making her way on the right side or the left side, she's right smack dab in the middle, and you're, take your half out the middle, huh? She's cumbering the aisle. You've heard of things It is the, the ones that are trying to get through cannot get through because there's a traffic jam. You are taking up space that could be used by someone else. What it's saying. The Greek word is katerge, or from the root katergeo, meaning to render useless. Occupying something unprofitably. 
You see, in this passage in Luke, we note the mind of the owner on the whole vineyard. He is not only worried, he is wanting that one tree. And we say, well, he only gave it three years. By this stage of the game, he's given it more than three years. Because it's been three years that it's not been bearing fruit. Three years that it has not been producing anything. And Jesus says, I don't want this. The, the, the gardener, he's, uh, he's using this story about the gardener. Saying, it is taking up space. It is boiling the soil around. You see, his mind is to go over uh, not just what is taking place with this one tree, but he is looking at the vineyard as a whole. Now, this is not a one-and-done approach, but the tree was given three years of no fruit, and the gardener asks for one more. You know, there are many trees, or should I say it this way, maybe? There are many Christians that are fruitless. Fruitless. They're going year after year bearing no fruit. And the audacity to think the gardener should keep giving me another one. These unfruitful trees were a danger to the ground and other trees. See, they take up the space. They rob the ground of nutrients. They infect the land with their rot and their decay. They must be dealt with or you risk the whole vineyard. Unfruitful trees are a danger. You might be thinking, well, you know, if I bear fruit or if I don't bear fruit, it's really only me that suffers. Wrong. Everyone around you suffers. Your spouse suffers. Your children suffer. Your neighbors suffer. Your your grandchildren, your nieces, nephews, your brothers, your sisters, your parents. Everybody around you suffers if you, my friend, do not bear fruit as as a tree of God. Catch that. Often we end up spending, here it is the problem, Often we end up spending more time doctoring a dying tree, trying to nurse it back to health, than we ever do on the thriving one. If you go into a, a vineyard and you see guys uh, that are around all these different trees, and they're, they're trying to doctor, they're pruning, they're taking care of this one, nurse it back to health, they're bringing extra fertilizer. That's Dung it. Of course, I'm going to fertilize it. Put stuff around it. It's going to help it grow. And so you have the same thing within the house of God. You have many churchgoers who appear spiritually healthy, but they have no fruit because they're dead inside. And you have uh, 90% of the resources of the individuals within the house of God coming to rally around that one individual in the hopes of being able to get something to, to grow in the hopes of coming. But then those uh, the, there are many times that those churchgoers who have that 90% of the resources wrapped around them and the other 10% of the resources goes to the other 99.9% of the church, and then that's what's going on with them. And you got some poor guy over here going, I'm growing close to the Lord, but I really could use some encouragement right now, Pastor. I really could use some encouragement right now over here. I'm really struggling, but we're over here trying to doctor a tree that should be growing fruit by this stage of the game. Paul talked about 
about it himself. He said, I should be able to speak to you about certain things, but you're acting carnal. So instead, the rest of the church has to sit still and wait while I come over here. But the problem, the biggest problem with that is after there's been a period of time, no longer doctrine wasteful. Wasteful. It is a waste of the resources of the vineyard to continue to doctor something and to continue to put all this effort and work into a tree that doesn't produce fruit. After you have been doctoring it and fertilizing it, it should start to show some signs of life. I can remember we had uh, we had planted six trees. Three on one side of our yard, three on the other side. And my Here's the problem. I had two apple trees, two peach trees, two pear trees. I was excited. Got our two apple trees going. We got our two peach trees going. We got our two pear trees not so going. One pear tree seems to be doing okay. The other one See that netting on? At the Japanese beetles and went, oh no. And so we're out here doctoring, getting all the jack. We got the bags and everything going all over the place. We look like we get it. We're, we're trying to, and this one tree back in the back right corner, tasted the best location. It was perfectly symmetrical, the rest of the yard and the rest of the But it shouldn't have been. And I started to look, and I said, what can we do with that? So we started getting more, we got chickens. So we started getting more gung, gung, gung. And so we got the, we got the dung around that tree. Next thing you know, I mean, it is, I mean, it is, it is. A, we are doctoring. We are not. My wife is one. So I, I get it, and it is a stick. And so one big storm comes by one day, and man, that wind was going. One of those where it's looking out, expecting this. It is one of those kind of storms. And I look out, and my stick is dead. I knew it was dead. Didn't want to get good money on it. Didn't want to give up. Eventually. Anything? You see the solution to an unfruitful tree. What happened? 
wash your hands. The other five trees needed some attention to pruning. They were doing well. Wonder if I'd have spent more time on those trees than the one that was dying if I'd had fruit today. Maybe they would have grown a little bit faster. You see, the result of each case that we look at calls for it to be cut out. In each case, you know, if you were looking at here in Luke chapter 13 or in John chapter 15, Jesus makes it very clear that the owner saw the need to remove any fruitless tree. Not as an option, but as a necessity. It was a necessity to do this. Look now, if you would, back at Mark chapter number 11. Mark chapter number 11. I want you to notice this with me because this incident takes place uh, in, in such a way that there have been many people to write on this passage of Scripture there, there have been people, Bertrand Russell uses this example of why he's an atheist. And he refers to this incident uh, over many other incidents. There have been many theists that refer to this incident. There have been many theologians who have referred to this incident. And I'll give you kind of their, their basic take on it. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 12. It says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree afar off, Having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. Here's what we have. We have Jesus coming to the fig tree. He saw that there were leaves on it. He comes to the fig tree, hoping that he was going to get something off of it. And he doesn't get anything from it. And he says, may no man ever eat from you again. And he curses the fig tree. You, you, well, no, he didn't. What, read the rest of the passage because Peter even brings it up later. He says, this is the tree that you cursed. And so Bertrand Russell will use this, and many other atheists have also referred to this. And he says, this is not the act of a righteous individual, let alone the Son of God, because he's throwing a hissy fit. There's no figs on it. I don't like you anymore. That's what they interpret by this passage. My friend, that's not the case. Now, I have read many theologians who will say, well, uh, he was trying to prove a point, and so he just decided he was going to use this example. He was going to try to make an example out of something, and so it really wasn't a matter of anything. I, I, don't, think that's, I don't think that that's accurate either. I hope to clear this up for you this morning. If you were to study into the figs, actually, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture, so just buckle up, put your... Trays in upright position, okay? Go to Song of Solomon. I want you to see something. Keep your hand in Mark. Go to Song of Solomon now. Keep bouncing over it. Look at Song of Solomon chapter 2. Verse 10 with me, if you would. Song of Solomon, chapter number 2, starting in verse 10. 
My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, and the time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. We can get into that information later. We're focused on the fig tree right now, not the turtles. What time of year is it speaking of? Flowers appearing on the earth? Time of the singing of the birds? No trick question. Spring. Look at verse number 13. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs and the vines with the tender grape. When we read Mark chapter number, uh, chapter number 11 here, it is right off the hills of Jesus' triumphal entry. If you were to read the very first portion of chapter 11, he is entering in, and we refer to this time as Palm Sunday. It is, uh, it is the week before the crucifixion, which took place around Passover. Passover was in the March-April time frame. Spring, right? Now, what we see, though, in Mark chapter number 11, it says that, uh, you know, Jesus was, he comes up to this tree, and he has a desire to get something off of it, and he sees there's nothing on there. Notice what it said at the end of verse 13, for the time of figs was not yet. Now, many times people will take this passage and they'll examine it and they'll say, see, he shouldn't have been able to find any figs on it anyway because it wasn't fig season. Wrong. Because even in the springtime, when the when the things first started to bloom, a fig would produce its green figs. It would be a smaller fig. And most generally, these figs would start to appear before the tree was completely leafed out. And so before you'd find a tree full of leaves, you should be able to find some of these figs on there as well. This is something that we need to understand. This is something that we need to catch with this because otherwise we're going to very quickly slip down the wrong direction. The idea that is being given to us is that Jesus was coming up and these little green figs are referred to as pagim. And this pagim bud was still edible. It was basically a bud of the flower that was going to produce the fig. And many a weary traveler would come along and they would pick these pagim off the tree and they could eat those as well. And so when Jesus comes and he sees this tree full of leaves, it should have had something on it to eat. But when he comes to it and he sees that there's no pagim, he knows there's a problem with the tree. No figs. Now this incident is sandwiched, verses 12 through 14, verse 20 through 26. The sandwiches kind of bookends the incident of Jesus clearing out the money changers. Notice that in verse number 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. 
And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called uh, of the, all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots." I want you to understand the point of Jesus' incident with the fig tree here. Jesus has made it abundantly clear throughout His teaching that we are to be fruit bearers. And then He comes to this one tree, and He's not oblivious to agriculture. I mean, my goodness, He just... He just demonstrated his power over nature itself. He calmed the storms and the winds. He, he made, made water out of wine. He's healing. He's casting out demons. He's walking on the water. I don't think he's oblivious. Oh, I didn't know the fig tree was just... I think he knew what was going on. He comes to it. He sees the importance. And he knows what he's getting ready to do. And so he curses that fig tree so that you and I, my friend, can understand the importance of not living a hypocritical life. I want us to catch this. Jesus enters that temple to drive out all these hypocritical money changers. He references, he says, my house shall be, shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. All nations. And what was taking place with this selling was, was going on out in the Gentile, the court of the, uh, of the Gentiles. And he said, it's hypocritical of you to act the way that you're acting. And just like this fig tree that had a lot of leaves and looked great from the outside, and anybody walking by the fig tree would see all those leaves and think, that's a healthy tree. Jesus understood something when he walked up to it and saw that there was no fruit on the tree. He said, it's not a healthy tree, even though it looks like one. If you just focus for just a minute and you go back even to the hypocrisy of the of the Pharisees back in Matthew chapter 23, what does Jesus say to them? He says, you look like whitewashed sepulchers, tombstones that have been washed white and you look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead bones. And the question that you and I need to be asking ourselves this morning, my friends, is do we look good and religious from the outside, but inside we're nothing but dead men? I've got all the dress. I've got all the makeup. I've got everything right. I know what songs to listen to. I know what words to say. I know how to respond to people. I know when someone says, how you doing today? I'm supposed to look at them and say, as long as I don't get what I do deserve and keep getting what I don't deserve, I'm doing all right. I know the right stuff to do. And I look great from the outside. As a matter of fact, you ought to see the bumper sticker on the back of my car. I tell you the bumper sticker I like. Jesus is still working on me. Hey, the one I hate. God is my co-pilot. He's your co-pilot. Man, we all in trouble. You're about to nosedive straight down. 
Do you have all the appearance? Look righteous. But inside there's no fruit. No fruit. The fig tree appeared to be alive. It appeared to be all good. Leaves in bloom. But there was no value to it. Just like the Pharisees appeared spiritual. But inside they were dead and full of vile. Just like many churchgoers appear spiritually healthy. But have no fruit because they are simply dead inside. You've got up on your screen there a statement that I would like for you to take to heart. Because we need to understand hypocrisy. There are many who would level an attack on the church. And if you've never heard it, you've not been around for very long. The number one excuse that people give uh, for not going to church is that the church is full of hypocrites. And I've heard, I've heard people even say it this way, there's always room for one more. <laughs> the church, my friends, is full of sinners. There's a difference. Have you ever known an organization on the face of the planet that's only requirement for you to be able to actually join is that you recognize that you're a sinner? Welcome to the church of Jesus Christ. If you don't recognize that you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. What hope do you have? You're trusting in your goodness? Let me talk to your wife about that later. See how it's going. But catch this. All hypocrites are sinners, yes. But not all sinners are hypocrites. Catch that. We need to understand what a hypocrite is in order to understand what I mean by that. A hypocrite, it was the old word for an actor. It was someone who pretended to be something they're not. A hypocrite is someone who sets out to make a good show outwardly, but does not possess inwardly what they proclaim outwardly. That's a hypocrite. Sinners see their shortcomings and once they recognize this, they turn to God and they, they work to overcome them through the help of God. But they never claim to be perfect. This is what a Christian is. It's a sinner who is allowing God to work on them. A hypocrite, on the other hand, acts contrary to what they claim to believe. Let me, let, let me put it this way. How many times have you had a problem and someone said, well, you need to pray about it and give it to God. And you say, I've prayed about it. I've given it to God. And then I just, but I keep working. Did you give it to God? Or are you still trying to control it yourself? I believe God's going to take care of me. Well, then why are you still trying to take care of that yourself? If we don't see that, that's not a hypocrite. Yes, it is. I want everybody to see that I trust in the Lord. 
He's got it taken care of. And as soon as I leave the church, I get back in the car going, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. I'm not going to survive. But then when I walk back in the church building, it's, I trust Jesus. Everybody looking at me, just, yeah, oh, he's got such good faith. But then when you get into your room again, oh, Lord, you ain't there, are you? It's a hypocrite. It's a hypocrite. I walk into the church building and the Bible says that I'm supposed to love my wife. I love that girl. Then we're on the way home. Maybe she says something I don't like. Ugh. Hypocrite. I make sure that everybody, everybody in my workplace and everybody around me, and especially everybody at the church knows that God is the most important thing to my life. But then when I get to my schedule and I'm going, well, I don't think I'm going to have time for church this week. Oh, here, cotton ball. I know I need to read the Word of God. But you don't know my work schedule, Pastor. It's easy for you. You don't know my work schedule. I don't have time. But then I carry the biggest one I can, and I make sure that as I'm walking through the door of the church, it's up there. Make sure to put the side out so people can see which one. But I don't read it all week. Hypocrite. I believe that Jesus is the only way. But I don't tell anybody. That's a hypocrite. For me to tell people Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Jesus is the only way to know God. That neighbor living across the street is going to die and go to hell because I haven't walked across the street and told him about it. But as far as everybody here is concerned, they know <laughs> he believes Jesus. Claims John 14, 6 is his life verse. I want you to note how much time the trees had. Just look there with me at Mark, if you would. Jesus answering said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Over there in the book of Luke, what's the farmer say? It says, and then he said to the vine, dress the vineyard, behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this tree. Find none. Cut it down. How much time did that tree have? From the moment that the vine dresser comes walking in, the man that owned the vineyard come walking in to inspect, how much time did the tree have to plead its case? You want to know the point of these two stories? Time to wake up. 
Quit playing church. Quit looking at the sin in our lives. Quit ignoring it. Quit understanding, honestly knowing, I don't have fruit and I'm going to keep on living the way I'm living. I don't care what God's Word has to say. I don't care what other people think. I don't care anything. I'm going to continue to live this sinful, unfruitful life and God is just going to keep giving me time. I'm here to tell you, my friends, God is long-suffering. He is merciful. He desires. But there is a moment where it's time to stop it because it becomes a detriment to the rest of the vineyard. God says, done. If that's you, my friend, is God gracious? Yes. Is He merciful? Yes. Is he long-suffering? Yes. But quit banking on tomorrow when God says today. Jeff and I didn't talk this morning. I mean, we said hi. He didn't say, what's your message? I'm going to read. I'm just sitting there going, man, you good. Today. Quit waiting for tomorrow. Quit waiting for next week. Today. This ought to be the moment where everyone takes it seriously. Understand something. It's easy to look at others. And we're quick to point out the hypocrisy in others. But Jesus wants you to examine your fruit today. He is not sending you out to examine everybody else's fruit today. He is saying the one who owns the vineyard is coming to inspect. And are you going to be found fruitful or barren? It ought to be a moment everyone takes a serious look It's unwise to imagine that I have all the time in the world to wait around on repentance. Let's finish with this. We're in Luke chapter 13. We've been reading verse 7 down. Go to verse number 1 with me of Luke 13 so you catch the context of this parable. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Tell ye nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise. You know the, the fruit that God is looking for? Repentance. Repentance. I see what is in my life that needs to change. And I turn from it. I don't see what is in my life that needs to change and ignore it. 
I see that relationship that I have that I should not have, and I turn from it. I see the language that I use that I should not use, and I turn from it. I see the attitude that I espouse that I should not espouse, and I turn from it. That's fruit. Fruit of repentance. To the unbeliever, can I speak to you for just a moment? Please hear me. Those who claim to be born again by the Spirit of God and those who are truly born again by the Spirit of God, I want you to understand something. They are not perfect. They're not perfect. But they do serve a perfect God. Please see Him over us. Forgive me. Forgive my flaws. Look only unto Jesus, the flawless one. To the believer, and I encourage you to honestly examine your fruit and not be hypocritical in the claim that there's more than there actually is. I'm a fruitful tree preacher. This message wasn't for me. It's an example of fruit that needs to be. Recognize that you are lacking. Second Peter chapter 1 talks of this. The fruit of repentance. What leads to it. For sake of time, we're not going to go there. But I want you to note that the apostle also refers to entering into Jesus' kingdom with abundance. And so there are two ways that you might be able to enter into the kingdom of God. With your arms overflowing with fruit. Or poor. Nothing to show. This is not saying that anyone who ever led someone to the Lord is not saved. Have you ever gone to someone's birthday party and you didn't have a gift? You felt kind of awkward that everybody else was given stuff and you didn't have anything? What do you think we're going to feel when we get to heaven, the one who died for us, the one who bled every drop of blood, the one whose body was bruised and battered and broken for you, and I come in empty. No fruit. You want to see revival? Examine your fruit. Honestly examine. Honestly examine if you are a fruitful tree or if you're guilty of spoiling the ground. By God's grace, you'll see revival. But if you ignore this one, you won't. If you ignore fruit inspecting of your own life, revival is way off. Today, do this.
pray. Our Father, I come before you as one who is unworthy. But Father, something you have done that I could never do for myself is to pay the price for my sin. It would have taken me an eternity of torment to pay that price. But you, having sent your Son, took care of it for me. Father, help me to see that sacrifice. Help me to understand what it was that you did for me. Seeing how greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Your Son came to this earth and did just that. Father, how dare I seek to steal more time, to rob the ground of more nutrients. Father, how dare I expect more from You than You've already given. Father, help me to live a life that is true to who I claim to be. And that is a child of God. Father, I believe that there are some here today who perhaps do not know You as their personal Savior. Pray, Lord, that You would speak to their hearts and to their minds. Help them to see their need of You. There are some, Father, who they truly are bearing fruit. And Father, a message such as this will drive them to produce even more fruit. And I'm thankful for that, Lord. It, it excites me, the thought that someone who is truly bearing fruit desires to bear more. Father, I also know there might be some here today, Lord, who are not bearing fruit. They're okay with that. Father, would you wake them up in the inner man? Father, prepare our hearts for revival so that we can see You work in a mighty way. Father, we'll be very careful to praise You for that. Because God, we want You to be seen high, lifted up. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.